Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello and welcome to Good Morning Canada. I'm your host, Nav M, and welcome to another hour of alternative viewpoints and lively discussion with today's most inspiring guests. Log cabins are deeply rooted in regional folklore and history from around the world, evoking memories of an idyllic lifestyle and the intrigue of a forgotten past. And although they have a strong association with rustic images of American frontier life, historically, log construction has its roots in Scandinavia and Eastern Europe. And over time, the log cabin became a symbol of self-sufficiency because Essentially, it offered a secure environment against very harsh conditions. And this trend continued in the early 20th century as Western frontiers continued to be opened up for settlement by new immigrants who continued to use log construction as their first American homes. But what was the allure of log cabins? Well, firstly, the abundance of timber in the New World made log construction an obvious choice for settlers, and eventually the building technique became more established through further Western migration. Also, we have to consider the construction process was relatively simple, requiring very basic tools. And what's more, the thick walls made them virtually impervious to hostile attacks from weapons and large animals. And if built well and carefully chinked, they were perfectly designed to repel moisture and cold. Also, log cabins remain aesthetically pleasing because wood brings the natural world back into our lives. Log cabins were also symbolic of the spirit of the early settlers, recognizing their hard work and humble beginnings. Indeed, it was the same traits of an unassuming simplicity and a deep connection to nature, which were key factors in the success of another outdoorsman and trailblazing individual by the name of Richard Dick Prennicky. He took the ideas of personal endurance to the next level by settling in the icy wilderness of Alaska and living there alone in a log cabin built by hand for 30 years. But his history is not one of a man enduring hardship or struggling to survive against nature. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He pursued a simple lifestyle and lived in perfect harmony with his environment and what the land could provide. Dick Prennicky was born in Iowa in 1916 and as a child experienced the economic hardships brought about by the Great Depression of the 1930s. And in 1941, he enlisted in the US Navy, signing on as a carpenter's apprentice. And while waiting for redeployment, he was afflicted by rheumatic fever and spent the rest of the war recovering in a Navy hospital. But the illness left a deep impression on his personal outlook. After the war, he moved to Portland in 1949 to study diesel mechanics. And in the ensuing years, he worked as a heavy equipment engineer on Kodiak Naval Base and also made frequent explorations of the surrounding natural beauty. And it was while visiting a friend's cabin in an area around 120 miles southwest of Anchorage, Alaska, he encountered the raw beauty of an area called Twin Lakes. 
But the turning point for Pranicki was an eye injury at work, which nearly blinded him, leading to further recuperation and ongoing fears about his personal health. And soon afterwards, he retired and committed himself to building a cabin of his own, sustaining himself from the vast resources which surrounded him. And so by the spring of 1968, working alone and with only hand tools, he had completed his simple but robust cabin measuring 15 by 11 feet, and this would be his home for the next 30 years. All of the raw materials came from his immediate surroundings, and the cabin still stands today as a testament to his resources and outstanding craftsmanship. And Dick Pernicke's remarkable story is one defined by fortitude and a willingness to adapt to nature. But while living off the land certainly has a strong romantic appeal to it, for most people this life is virtually impractical because modern society has made us too much attached to the conveniences and obligations of everyday life. And the natural world has become a very unfamiliar place. But it was Dick Prennicke's influence which provides the link with my special guest today because he too was inspired by the original videography Alone in the Wilderness created by Bob Swearer Productions. And at the age of 12, he was transfixed by this documentary which first conveyed the story of Prennicke's accomplishments as a skilled craftsman and keen conservationist. But more importantly, how living in harmony with nature could lead to a more fulfilling lifestyle. And it was this account of Dick Prennicke which inspired him to build a series of log cabins in the wilderness. Born and raised in Duluth, Minnesota, he adopted the construction trade as an early career choice, training as an electrician, but soon became disillusioned with the monotony of his daily routine, sensing limited opportunities to pursue his passion of a back-to-basics lifestyle, living in an off-grid cabin. And remembering Dick Prennicke's vision of self-sufficiency, he became disenchanted with the traditional route of home ownership, of being tied to a mortgage for the majority of his life, and set about creating an alternative path towards more financial freedom. Indeed, Kyle Helmberger is a go-getting outdoor innovator, living his dream in the American wilderness and represents the new generation of self-sufficiency advocate, pursuing a simpler and more meaningful life. He began building a series of log cabins at the age of 21 in a remote area of Alaska and later in Minnesota with only basic hand tools, based on a strict budget and drawn all from personal savings. He currently lives full-time in a framed stick-built cabin which he built by hand on a 10-acre homestead in northern Minnesota. And by abandoning his former city life in favor of an off-grid lifestyle, he hopes to inspire others to head outdoors and lead a more fulfilling life, based on the principles of frugality and self-reliance. His adventurous spirit is grounded in a belief that he is working towards something better. And this evolving journey can be followed on his YouTube channel, Kyle's Cabin. So let's welcome Kyle Helmberger, self-sufficiency advocate, homesteader, and YouTuber. Welcome to Good Morning Canada. Thanks, Nahab. I appreciate it. And thank you, Carl, for taking the time to speak to me today. So I'd like to start by trying to get a picture of your life before you began building cabins. So if you could, please, just take us back to your hometown of Duluth, Minnesota, and describe your life there and what planted the seeds for this incredible journey. 
Okay. Yeah. So I was born in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, my family ended up, um, after a while we moved to a town, um, Brainerd, Minnesota. Um, so that's kind of where I was, where I grew up. Um, but yeah, pretty typical childhood. You know, we didn't grow up, uh, on a farm or anything like that. We were within the city limits and, um, yeah, I, I basically did the same thing. Everybody, uh, everybody does, you know, graduated high school. Um, I went on to, to school and, um, didn't have any idea what I wanted to do, but I knew I had to pick something. So I knew I liked hands-on work. Um, that was the most appealing to me. So, uh, I decided to go down a path of, yeah, becoming an electrician. So I did that, uh, graduated school and then, um, got a job in my hometown of Brainerd, um, and, worked for a little over a year and had a great job. Um, it was an excellent company, uh, good benefits. And yeah, by, I mean, society standards, I guess I was, you know, off to a pretty good start in my life. And then, um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, and you hit the nail on the head in that introduction. I just kind of felt, uh, yeah, like every day was the same. Um, I didn't really feel, um, I felt like I had more of a purpose in life and I was kind of at the point, you know, I was 21 and it was, it was like I came to a Y in the road and it was like, okay, I got to pick a path here. Either I'm going to keep going down this road or I got to pick a different direction here and go after my dreams. And um, like you said, I, I saw the Dick Prennicky documentary alone in the wilderness when I was 12. And that's something that just always stuck with me. And um, I always thought about Alaska and thought that would be the coolest thing ever to, to go up there and build a log cabin in the wilderness like Dick Prennicky did and um, pursue a simple life. And so uh, one day, um, I just put in my two weeks at work and decided I was going to head to Alaska. I mean, just on a whim. So um, it was pretty risky. You know, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, how it was all going to work out. I didn't have any family up there, didn't have any friends. Um, but like I said, just that documentary always stuck with me. And it was just something that really called to me. So I just decided to make the jump and head up there. Okay, um, th that's an amazing uh, story, Carl, and, and I think um, a lot of people would be so impressed by that. And um, my next question is basically this adventurous spirit that you have. Um, I think that would be a question in most people's mind. Where, where did that come from? Because I know you, you know, you come from a background of camping, hunting, fishing, very outdoor lifestyle. Um, but just try to explain that adventurous spirit because um, you mentioned a fork in the road at the age of 21. I mean, most people just wouldn't consider that. Right. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Where did that adventurous spirit come from? Um, I guess it, yeah, it circles back, I guess, to, to camping and, and hunting. I just loved, loved being in the outdoors. And in Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, we have the Boundary Waters Wilderness Area, which is probably my favorite place on earth. And that's where my... Uh, remote log cabin, um, that we'll get to in a bit, uh, where I, it's where I built that is pretty close to the boundary waters. And we had done a couple trips, uh, up there and that's, it's a true wilderness area. It's, it's really remote. I mean, you go in there for days and days and you, you know, you don't see anybody. And after, after experiencing that, I always wanted to kind of keep going. And then, and then, uh, going home was always sad on these trips. I was like, you know, I just loved everything about, uh, the camping and, um, just the simplicity of that and how peaceful it was and just, you know, keeping it, keeping everything basic and basically just eating, staying comfortable and sleeping. And um, I just love that the wilderness, there's so many, 
you're never bored. I mean, there's so many um, adventures to go on. Like I said, I, I never, I always wanted to keep going farther in. And um, yeah, I guess that's kind of what planted the the seed and kind of made me uh, adventurous. But okay, so just for the benefit of the audience, uh, I'd like you to briefly outline your cabin build so far. So we've already discussed the. Um, the Fairbanks in uh, Alaska, but let's just go through uh, in sequence. If you could just describe that for the audience. Okay. Yeah. I'll go through uh, all of them. So yeah, when I moved up to Alaska, I went up there, I found a job uh, pretty shortly after arriving and work, saved money, uh, got myself 10 acres of land, uh, about 30 miles North of Fairbanks. So a, a very remote area and um, ended up building my first log cabin there. Um, it was 12 feet by 14 feet, um, up in, uh, the mountains, pretty, pretty cool area. And then, um, after that, uh, I, you know, like I said, I didn't have any family, no friends or anything. I made friends up there, of course, but, um, that that was just another point in my life where I kind of came to another fork in the road and it was okay. Either I'm going to stay here and be pretty distant, you know, from my family and friends and my, my home life, because Alaska is very, you know, isolated. Correct. And with, with with the time change, there's a time change there too. So that makes it hard to um, stay in touch with family and friends. And so I just, I felt like, okay, I'm either going to be the guy that kind of disappeared and fell off the face of the earth and went up to Alaska, or, you know, I could, I could do this, but do it back in Minnesota, you know, and be closer to family. So I decided that was the right thing to do and ended up moving home. And I bought 40 acres of remote land near the boundary waters, uh, within the superior national forest and then built my, uh, second, um, off grid log cabin. Um, and then my girlfriend and I stayed in that for uh, about a year. Um, we stayed a full winter out there, which was an unbelievable experience. And then, um, but we decided that, you know, we had plans of, you know, having a family one day and, we wanted to get, you know, some animals and, and have a, a large scale garden and the, the soil, you know, on the land that we have wasn't exactly suitable for that. Um, so we kind of knew we had to make another jump and uh, get something that was maybe a little bit more accessible. Um, so, but still we wanted to be uh, very rural. Um, so we ended up uh, looking for land and ended up finding 10 acres, which is the 10 acres we have now and um, started working towards uh, saving up money to build a, a stick frame cabin that we could eventually, you know, raise our family in and, and really start our life and kind of, uh, yeah, start our, start our family and, and then um, start gearing towards more self-sufficient life. Um, and, you know, because it's more accessible, it makes it easier for taking care of animals and um, the soil in this new property is a lot better for gardening. So, um, it was a good fit and I'm glad we did it. And then, um, but while we were waiting to, uh, to build the stick frame cabin, I had built a little tiny house on top of a snowmobile trailer because we wanted something to kind of stay in, you know, and we were excited about the new land. So we wanted to be on the land, but it was winter time when we bought the land. So, um, we couldn't get started on anything, but we wanted to be on the property because we were excited about it. So we, we lived in this little eight foot by 12 foot tin trailer um yeah looking back on that that's i can't believe we did that but uh it was all it was all worth it um there's some tough times and frustrating moments but uh yeah we got through it and we knew that the the bigger picture was going to be worth it so 
Um, and then once springtime came, we, we got started as soon as we could and started building the stick frame cabin that we, we live in now. And then, uh, we got this completed and then just recently, my most recent build was I built a log cabin workshop. So that's kind of all the builds that I've done. Okay. So it, it is uh, by any stretch of the imagination, it's, uh, an incredible journey. Um, so we'll come back to the, the later cabin builds um, a bit later in the interview, but for the moment I'd like to focus your attention on your second log cabin uh, because this is one of your first YouTube videos and uh, it was entitled 24 year, 24 year old builds mortgage free off grid cabin in the wilderness. And yep. to me this, this is a captivating video um, and this is the first one that I, I actually saw in it and that's where I really uh, focused in on on your particular journey and in this video you provide a very gritty pioneering approach to a log cabin building and and just uh, for for anyone who hasn't seen it there's, there's no video content but uh, what Kyle has done is visualized with st still photos um and the effect is is incredible and and there's one image in particular where you're dragging your cooking stove through very thick brush and um, to me this gave a sense of real danger and excitement and, and I could also see that you had a pistol um, uh, on your holster and it's just that sense of danger and excitement and it, it, you know that image that one image really put things into perspective and so my question Kyle is just talk us through the emotions that you experienced in completing that project. Well, I mean, it was, yeah, it was an adventure. I mean, that you know, like how uh, Dick Prennicky captured it. I mean, there's just something about going out into the woods um, and, and building a home out of what's available right there. And uh, I, I've always been into the remote thing because that, that's just how you really get the, the real feel of, of the wilderness, you know, where you don't hear a, a car horn or, or a, you know, a drill or any like construction going on. You just hear, you know, the birds, the wind. I mean, that's a really peaceful uh, feeling. and um, like Dick Prennicky, you know, did, I, I wanted to, to do something similar that really called to me and yeah, the adventure is, is most of the fun. And yeah, looking back, like you said, like dragging that, the wood stove through the woods, that was a, that was a tough task. Cause I had, I had to roll it over some, some really thick brush and I, I drug it and pushed and pulled it up hills and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, getting that wood stove back there, that was the first thing I hauled back in. And that was, that was a big win because once I got, got that back there, um, then it was like, okay, I got something I, I can heat with, I can cook on. And that was kind of, uh, yeah, that was the first major accomplishment. And then, um, yeah, and then it was just a lot of baby steps. Um, and it's, it's a lot of physical work, but one, one beautiful thing about log cabins is, you know, the, the materials are right there on the land. So they're, it's cheap, to, they're cheap to build because you, you have all your, your lumber right there. So, um, that, that's a, a big reason why, why log cabins really stuck out to me is because when I first started building, I didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, to build a, a stick frame cabin and, and do all that. So my option was kind of limited to uh, log cabins, which I was always into log cabins anyways. And I knew I was going to do that. But, um, after building the first one, I mean, I, I built it for, I mean, like $600 or something like that. And, um, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty neat. You know, that you can build a livable home with next to no money um, and then have the satisfaction that you built it yourself. Uh, that, that's a, it's a really rewarding feeling. And after I built that Alaskan cabin, I, I was, I was really excited to uh, accomplish a, a, another goal of building another one um, in my home state. So it was a okay. lot of fun. So um, 
there's there's several points that you've mentioned there, and 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 the one that really sticks out is the um, you know that um, point about the, the the quietness and that connectedness with nature. But we'll come to that later in in the second half of the interview. But uh, for the okay. moment, I'd like to focus on the design and build of your log cabins. But before doing that, I, I think it's useful to just share a very brief history of log cabins. So, although American history has promoted the log cabin as a symbol of early pioneer settlement, in reality, the technique of stacking logs to form walls goes back to the earliest Roman forts, and also the first timber lodges, which were built during the Bronze Age in northern Europe around 3500 BC. So, by the time Europeans began to settle in America in the 17th century, there was already an established tradition of of uh, log building throughout Scandinavia and Germany. But it's widely accepted that the Finns and the Swedes brought the most developed knowledge of wood construction with them. And the majority of these immigrants settled along the banks of the Delaware River between 1860 and 1900 into modern Delaware, Pennsylvania, and smaller settlements uh, also emerged in states such as Oregon, Montana, and Idaho. So, Kyle, my question is this. Um, did you refer to any specific sources when researching the actual design of your log cabins? Well, uh, Dick Prenicke's documentary does, a, honestly, a pretty good job. Um, he doesn't go into great detail, but you in the, in the documentary, you, he kind of shows how he traces out his notches, you know, the, the several saw cuts about an inch apart, and then, you know, pounding them out with an axe, kind of roughly fitting them. And then, um, and then working towards the custom fit and, uh, just watching how, how he did it with such simple tools. It made it very easy to understand, but, uh, but other, besides that, I mean, I learned a lot of stuff off YouTube, watching several different, uh, log cabin builds on, uh, on YouTube was very beneficial. And then seeing how popular, uh, those videos were, um, that's what kind of inspired me to start my, my YouTube channel. And that's when I started my channel was when I was building my Minnesota log cabin. So you can watch the entire build from start to finish on the channel. And then that, uh, that video that you referenced, um, just, that's kind of a slideshow with photos. All those photos are screenshots from, um, my previous videos of the build. And I just kind of combined them all into one, uh, summary video, basically at the end that kind of showed the whole build and what, what it took to build it and my, my thoughts on it and everything. But yeah, Dick Prenicke's uh, documentary was was definitely, I'd say, n my number one reference. Um, but it's like anything, you know, you can you can watch stuff, read books, but you, you, the only way you can really learn it is is you know by doing it. And um, my Alaskan log cabin, when I started, my my notches were pretty pretty bad, you know, like anything <laughs> when you first when you're first starting out, you're not, you know, you're not uh, very good. And I remember looking at my first, you know, four logs or whatever notched on there. I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this. You know, hopefully this gets better. And then yeah, I just. Uh, got more patient and took my time and um yeah. yeah like anything you just you get better the more you do it so yes again it's, it's a learning curve but so exactly. let's quickly turn to your um youtube channel which is called carl's cabin and one of the main observations over the course of your videos is that there's been a process of evolution some of that you've already described because in your first three to four builds uh, you focused on log cabins which are not only a tried and tested method, but they have clear advantages. Um, yep. But in, in the most recent build, which uh, 
you, you did over the, I think, starting around March, April this year, you, you chose a 20-foot by 32-foot stick-built cabin. And for those who don't know, that means it's been framed with conventional wooden studs. So just explain to us why there was a departure from your previous method of uh, log cabin building. Uh, well, the way I, I build my log cabins is by hand, uh, like you mentioned, and it's pretty tough to to physically move around big, large logs. And we knew with our, our new place here that we wanted to build something with a little bigger footprint um, because we, we plan on raising a family here. And 20 by 32 is, is, I mean, considered a pretty small house still, I mean, by, I mean, American standards. But um, yeah, I guess the size thing was, was the biggest thing. And it's easier to build bigger, bigger uh, footprint buildings with uh, conventional lumber. So um, decided to go that route. And because I had, we had stayed in, you know, the log cabin for the winter. I mean, I, we weren't spending money. We didn't have a house payment. So we were able to put away money. So we were able to, when it came to the new build, we were able to afford a, a stick frame um, cabin. But I'll tell you, I, I love, I mean, log cabins, there's just something about them. They're, they're so cozy. Um, and yeah, it really is a, a special feeling, uh, you know, being able to live comfortably in a log cabin that you built. But um, considering I, I, you know, I don't use machines or any of that stuff and cranes, it just wasn't really plausible to build a big um, log place here. And plus with the land that we got, the, the land doesn't really provide a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of nice, straight, big logs to build a log place with, which is kind of a bummer. But so that's kind of why we want the stick frame. Yeah. And, and um, just picking up on that point, I mean, there are so many advantages of, of log cabin builds. Uh, first of all, the, they bring the natural world um, back into our lives, which which seems to be so missing. And and I also think that, you know, there's a deep sense of peace living in a house you know, made of natural uh, trees. Um, oh yeah. And, and and then there's that that whole uh, connection. You know that time honored tradition, which you know that that sense of continuity. Um, yep. Uh, so I, I think that that's that's another advantage as well. And then obviously, you know, you've got the durability aspect. But um, exactly. Very 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 quickly, Carl. Which um, um, which trees did you are mainly used on in in that area of northern Minnesota? Um, on on uh, my cabin here, I use balsam fir. Okay. And then um, uh, the workshop cabin on the new land, I used popple, which are aspen trees. You know, in other parts we call them popple here. Um, and that's what I that's just that's just what we have a lot of. So that's what I built the newest one out of. So again, it's uh, very similar to Dick Pernicky, but whatever was available. Um, yep. Exactly. Uh, uh, you use that, and, and that obviously that that makes sense. And th- that particular um, uh, aspen is that um, is that fairly waterproof, like some of the cedars are. Um, it can be if you seal it, yeah, with with uh, you know modern um, supplies. So what I'll do is I built it with green logs. So in two years, they'll be uh, pretty well dried out, and then I'll put a, a protective coating over all the logs. And as long as you keep up with that every so often, it'll keep. Uh, the logs protected from, you know, UV rays and water damage and all that. So, and then I always do a big overhang on my log cabins on my roofs. So that helps keeping the, keep the water off of them as well. So as long as you don't have, you know, a massive wind while it's raining, those logs will never really see water, but the sun, the sun can be really hard on them. Um, like I said, if you, if you uh, coat it with a protective layer, you know, of uh, a sealant, then 
um, a log cabin. If, if you'll take care of it, it'll, it'll last uh, longer than, than we'll be around. So, Yeah, that's true. And, and do you have to do a lot of maintenance uh, otherwise apart from um, uh, staining or anything like that? Yeah, there is. You get, you get things called uh, log checks in logs where as they're drying, they'll, you'll get like a big crack down the middle of them. Right. And they can get, they can get severe enough where they'll, you'll actually get like a draft coming through them. And with a log, with a log place, your only insulation is the logs. So, you know, however thick your logs are, that's what you get for insulation besides your chinking. So, um, yeah, you have, you have to keep an eye on that stuff and seal them up and yeah, there, there's maintenance with it. Um, but so far I haven't had to do uh, too much. Um, and it's just, yeah, I just keep an eye on things and yeah, so far I haven't had to do too much on any, on any of my log cabins, but, um, as long as you stay up, like I said, with, uh, stay on top of sealing the, the logs, um, they'll last a really long time. Okay. So in the f- next segment of the interview, I'd like to focus more on the philosophical questions which are raised by remote living and also living in an off-grid log cabin. But right now we're just coming up to a short break and there'll be much more to come in the next segment. See you soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. To find out more about us and the ideas behind our show, visit our website at gmc-radio.com. That's gmc-radio.com. Now, back to Good Morning Canada. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with NAVM. It's great to have your company. We are in conversation with Kyle Helmberger. So previously, we just touched on the aspect of the the very philosophical thoughts, which are part and parcel of log cabin building. And I'd like to begin with a very brief introduction to one of the most foremost thinkers of American literature, Henry David Thoreau. And over the years, many parallels have been drawn between Thoreau and Dick Prennicke because Thoreau's passion for descriptive writing about nature and his deep interest in the natural world have continued to shape American politics and popular culture for the past two centuries. And also his influence on the broader environmental movement has been incalculable. incalculable. Thoreau also offered a new way of living based on his naturalist approach to individualism and anti-materialism. And it's a well-known fact that Dick Prennicke was heavily influenced by Thoreau, and especially by Thoreau's masterpiece, Walden, which was a book based on his two-year stay at Walden Pond in Concord, Massachusetts. So in 1845, Thoreau built himself a wooden cabin there, and While he was there, his main objectives were to pursue his passion for writing, explore his love of nature, and devote his time to leading a simpler life. And in doing so, he inspired millions of people to seek a different lifestyle based on frugality and a deep sense of connection with nature. So at this point, let me bring Kyle back into the discussion. Throughout the remainder of this interview, Kyle, I'd like to use Thoreau as a context to discuss the various aspects of your own journey in log cabin building, as as well as all um, comparing overlapping life experiences with Thoreau. 
Okay. So let, let's start. In, in Walden, Thoreau states, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. So when, when you hear this, it, it's... it's um, it's such an incredible quote because it, it just sums up everything about w- what his vision was and what he was actually trying to achieve in, in that in that period uh, of two years yeah. at Walden Pond. So my question is this, when, when you built your first two cabins, which were designed to be remote and off-grid, were, were you trying to discover something about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, it's challenging to do. I mean, it, there's it's a ton of physical work to go out and cut your own trees and peel the logs. And, um, it, it's just a ton of physical labor. Um, and it's not a complicated process, but it's very physically demanding and it is a challenge. And, um, just little by little, you know, you keep, keep progressing. And, you know, at the end of the day, you feel accomplished, you know, you, like, uh, like you said, you, you wanted to live life to the fullest. Um, and, uh, that's, Basically, yeah, that's kind of why I, I've gone down this journey as well is, you know, everything that you need to to live is out there if you want to get it. You know, you just have to provide a little bit of work on your end to uh, to make it happen. But um, a lot of people might think, you know, it's just a it's just a, a simple, boring life. But um, there's always something to do. And uh, you get a lot of fulfillment out of even just the little things because you're you're producing them yourself. Yeah, and again, this um, for Thoreau, it was a it was a social experiment basically. Um, yeah. Because uh, he 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 was um, he was trying to uh, determine so many aspects of his own life, um, and and one of the main objectives was to see basically could he work to survive. And mm-hmm. and as you've just mentioned, you know the the journey never ends. Um, it, right. It just um, and and that's what. You know, I think we're trying to convey in this this into that um, the the journey starts, but it doesn't actually end. Um, so I just just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, there's you're always learning with this, and you're always uh, you know simple living. You're you're always you know coming up with ways to be more efficient at things. Correct. Um, and and like I said, it's it's almost like a you know it's like a feeling of euphoria almost. You know, and you start getting things down, and you know what needs to be done. Um, you know, you start living more comfortably because you're, you have, a, you start getting a system down and, uh, the, the life is, it becomes very rewarding. I mean, just everything about it, the, the heating with firewood, you know, you're getting that right from the land. So, um, you know, you're producing your own heat and, you know, you can cook with that. So your, your firewood is your energy and you, you just to go out and just produce everything yourself and know that you're making it on your own without any assistance or any middleman. Um, it's a very rewarding feeling. It's, it's, uh, it's unlike any feeling that you could ever have, I think in the, in the modern, uh, in modern society. Okay. So there's another very influential quote by Thoreau. Um, and he says, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And this was an observation that most people, live an unfulfilled life which are emotionless and uh, essentially they're day-to-day just bogged down by routine and doing work which they don't enjoy and Dick Prennicky also commented on on this very um, fragmented view of life and he said that quote too many men work on parts of things doing a job to complete 
sorry, let me just say that again. Too many men, too many men work on parts of things. Doing a job to completion satisfies me. So here, Pranicki was referring to his um, uh, process and his development of building an entire cabin, and that was what he meant by completing uh, the yeah. entire picture. So. For you, what was the turning point in your previous uh, city-based life where you realized that, that there was a lack of purpose? Um, yeah, like I said, like you, you, you pretty much nailed it. It's, yeah, I felt uh, like I was just doing the same thing every day, same routine. Um, I, you know, when I woke up in the morning, I wasn't really excited to start my day or anything. It was just kind of a routine. It was, you know, get up, go to work, uh, go home, you know, stare at my phone or watch TV or something. And I just you know, like I said, I got to the fork in the road where it was like, okay, either this is going to be my life or I could go try to do something more fulfilling and, um, try, you know, try to feel alive, you know, and, and that's my favorite part about this lifestyle. Uh, like I kind of touched on earlier is you feel fulfilled at the end of the day, even though it's a simple life and it might not seem very exciting, uh, to a lot of people, you, you feel good because you're, you're, you're exercising, you're, you're, you know, you're out in the fresh air. Um, there's a lot of reward to it. And uh, yeah, I, I would encourage anybody to at least try it out, um, you know, um, at some point. Um, it's it's a pretty incredible feeling that you really can't describe unless you do it. It's kind of one of those things that you you have to do to, to experience it. Yeah. And um, just as a complete, um, uh, a contrary um, vision to that, most sedentary lives, um, that the most people live um, essentially characterized by a lack of leisure time. And, yeah. and, and this is why we've seen, you know, so much interest in, in outdoors now, but let's turn to a, another fundamental part of uh, cabin life. And that's the idea of frugal living. And uh, in many respects, Dick Prennick is often regarded as the living embodiment of frugality because um, of his experience during the um, uh, great depression of the 1930s. And, and he stated um, this, uh, this, I have a quote here. Um, I have found that some of the simplest things have given me the most pleasure. They didn't cost me a lot of money either. They just worked on my senses. Did you ever see the blue sky beyond the shimmering, shimmering gold of the leaves come in out of the sub-zero and shiver yourself warm in front of a wood fire? The world is full of such things. And so that description just uh, sums up exactly what, what you said is that, that, that sense of fulfillment and, and those small things, yeah. um, they're just magnified. Um, and, and similarly, in your own situation, you've been deeply influenced by frugal living, especially your approach to savings. And I'd like you to explain this point and, and, and just tell us where did this sense of frugality, where did it originate from? Um, well, just, yeah, I mean, a big reason why I do, uh, what I do and live the way I live is, um, I mean, just for financially, it's, it's so much cheaper, you know, when you, when you build your own stuff and, um, are producing all your own, uh, needs, you know, like your own heat, um, and all that it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, um, fulfilling and, um, yeah, I guess frugal living, it's, um, when you say frugal, it sounds like it's not very very fun. But, um, like I said, you get more efficient at things and you, you can, you can do this pretty, pretty comfortably. You know, you, you start getting into a system and get more, more, uh, efficient at, uh, everything you're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the frugal living part is, 
it's amazing how well we can do with so little actually. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just the basic, basic things like, like, uh, you, you touched on, like, you know, sitting by a, a wood stove and warming yourself, um, and all that, it, like that, that's, that's stuff that you don't really get to experience in, uh, the modern, modern society, you know, everything's kind of done for you. Um, right. you know, you, you can go and, you know, you just, you walk into a climate controlled, uh, building. So, you know, you don't, you don't get the fulfillment of, you know, producing the heat yourself. And I know that to a lot of people that sounds like, well, I don't really want to, that sounds like, you know, like work, but it's, um, but it's, it's fulfilling. It's, it's enjoyable, uh, to do it that way. Yeah. And the only way I, I can, um, convey that to the audience, Kyle, is let's say, um, you've been out in the cold, um, and, and obviously from time to time, um, obviously our, our hands, our feet and our, uh, our head are, are the areas where we lose most heat. But l- yep. let's just take, for instance, your, your fingers, you know, when, when you have, when you're just at that point of uh, frostbite, um, and you know that you have to, you, you know, you've blown on your hands and you've just got to a point, uh, where you, you, you have to either go into the, to the warmth or you have to put a different pair of gloves on. And when yeah. that feeling of warmth comes back into your hands, um, I mean, that, that's essentially, that sums it up because, and that's what yep. D- Dick Prennicky was talking about when he said, um, you know, pulling, uh, dry socks over, over, over wet feet, basically it's, yeah. it, it's very difficult to explain unless you've actually experienced it. Exactly. Like I, like I always said, it's, you just, I feel so much more alive. I mean, personally, this is just my experiences. I feel so much more alive living this way because like you said, you get to feel cold and then, you know, you get to feel the elements, you know, you, and then you get the satisfaction of coming in and, you know, warming yourself with materials that you went and harvested yourself. And, you know, you have the skills to start a fire and keep it going. Um, and just the, to me, it's, it's all about, I mean, self-sufficiency is, is kind of what I really try to try to do. And, um, it's just so satisfying just knowing that you're, you're, you're able to produce everything that you need to live, uh, without any middleman or anybody else's help. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really rewarding feeling. Okay. So another very important theme, which, uh, features in Thoreau's writing was that of a rapidly changing industrial environment. And Thoreau was well aware that the world he was living in was in the throes of a rapid and unprecedented shift. Uh, essentially, yeah. we're referring to the, the impact of the Industrial Revolution. So, yeah. <clears throat> in particular, uh, the rise of urbanization and the advance of uh, industrial capitalism in America. And he was keen to point out how technology was able to dominate lives instead of serving human needs. And he states, we do not ride on the railroad, it rides upon us. But despite these feelings of misgiving, Thoreau's world, the the one he created in in Walden, um, was secondary, essentially. It was secondary to the world that he wanted to create in his own cabin. So in other words, it was not the final destination for him, but part of a um, a deeper inner journey. And, and this was also true for Dick Prennicky as well. Um, Twin Lakes was not his final destination. Yep. So m- my question is this, um, the, the evolution that you've gone through in cabin building and, and you know, you, in so far you've achieved so much success in this, do you think this is part of a, a longer journey for you as well? Yeah, I do. I do feel that way. I, I mean, I think I always want to be evolving and try to improve my life and, and make it better. Um, and yeah, that's, 
that's kind of the beauty of just getting raw land and starting a life is you get to, you get to lay it out exactly how you want. You know, you get to create your own buildings and put them where you want. You kind of get, it's, it's the ultimate freedom to do whatever you want to do on your own property. And um, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit with that. It's uh, that's a lot of fun. And, and also I, uh, I would just add to that, that, um, that, Part of that journey um, for yourself uh, is self-reflection, um, because, as you mentioned earlier in the, inter- in the interview, that you don't actually hear noises. But um, you, uh, okay, let me rephrase that: you, you don't hear modern noises, but you hear a plethora of, of uh, natural noises. And and so that you know that sense of self-reflection. Um, what does that mean to you, basically? Um, yeah, the sense of self-reflection. I guess it's just. Uh yeah, like I said, it's just rewarding knowing that you're doing everything yourself. And yeah, hearing just the sounds of, of nature, I mean, it's peaceful. And the thing kind of circling back to um, the industrial, you know, revolution and technology and all that, uh, it's, that's still very new in terms of human history. You know, I mean, yeah. what was the industrial revolution? Is that 150 years ago um, or so? Uh, you know, in the terms of how, how long humans have been around, I mean, this, this uh, new world of cities and car horns and, and noise and all this, it's still very, very new um, right. in, in terms of human history. So, you know, and I think we're all, even today, uh, you know, we're, we're still very wired for, you know, living, I think, amongst nature and hearing those, you know, the sounds of, you know, a, a loon or, or whatever, you know, um, that's still very much in our DNA, I think, because all of our ancestors used to live that way. And uh, it, it's, yeah, like I said, not, not a whole lot of people get to experience, um, you know, uh, going to a spot where there is no noise from the, you know, the outside world. Uh, so yeah, when you're, when you're on your own and aren't hearing, uh, you know, noise and don't have all those distractions, you, you really do get to sit back and kind of reflect on your life and, um, you have more time to think about what's important to you and, you know, what, what really matters in your life, you know, um, compared to the modern world where there's just distraction after distraction, you know, and all that, you, you know, you get to sit back and actually be alone in your own thoughts. And yeah, it's, I think that's a very positive thing. And I don't think a lot of people get to do that much nowadays. Yeah. And, and I also think it's, um, um, it's a way of pursuing your own identity and uh, that's also part of the journey um yeah but but those points that you mentioned uh, about technology we'll, we'll come back to those very shortly so uh, for the time being let, let's turn to another key theme which was central to thoreau's outlook and that, that's the idea of personal autonomy and with regard to um an individual's work and productive capacity Thoreau believed that the the individual set his own agenda, and 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 you've spoken about this, um, you know, very eloquently um, in the last, in the first segment as well. And Thoreau was referring to the mastering of his own time and occupation, because this was the key to his personal liberation. And similarly, um, Pranicki made the same point. He states, and I quote: "It was good to be back in the wilderness again, where everything seems at peace." I was alone, just me and the animals. It was a great feeling. Free once more to plan and do as I please. Beyond was all around me. My dream was a dream no longer. And it's this line where he says, free once more to plan and do as I please, which I found so interesting. And yeah, let's go back to your situation. Someone who's unfamiliar with off-grid lifestyle, they might say, well, don't you get bored? Um, so 
you know, just give us an idea of how you learn to master your time and, and plan ahead. Yeah, there's not, there's no, not a whole lot of uh, boredom. You know, there's not a whole lot of downtime when you're, when you're producing everything yourself, you know, like firewood's a pretty much a full-time job when that's your only source of heat. Um, everything takes longer, you know, cooking it's all from scratch. You know, you're not going to go hit up a, a drive through or something and, or have a meal, you know, pre-made <laughs> that, that you just throw in the oven, you know, so <laughs> cooking, cooking and everything takes a lot more time. Uh, you know, you don't have running water. So dishes take a lot more time. Uh, we melt snow for all of our water. So that takes a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, you do get some downtime, but you certainly earn it. And when you have that downtime where you're sitting, it, it feels good. It's more, it's more enjoyable. You know, uh, I would say like compared to, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, society now, and this is kind of how I felt, um, you know, when I was still an electrician and all that is like, when you have downtime, you kind of feel like you're just wasting the day you know, um, like you're, you know, it's almost like you can't enjoy it. Um, but yeah, with this, you know, you, know, you, you put the work in and then your downtime is a lot more enjoyable because you're like, okay, I worked hard today. I, you know, I, I completed all these tasks and even though, like I said, they're simple tasks and they might not seem, you know, very, you know, impressive or anything to uh, normal pe- to uh, people that, you know, in modern society, um, it's, it's very fulfilling just having a, a routine and accomplishing your tasks that you need to to be comfortable and, and live comfortably. It's, it's really rewarding. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, there's a big divide there between urban and, and rural life because in rural life, you, you, you tend to, you have 10 things already in your head. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. And yeah, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow you've got it all planned out basically. So, um, I think that's the only way I, I, I could, um, you know, describe that. So yeah, let's, let's, let's turn to another important theme, which often comes up in cabin life. And that's the issue of solitude. And Dick Prennicky once noted that he was so busy with his life. And, and again, it's, it, it, there's parallels with the, with the previous point. He said that he was so busy with his life that he was never lonely. He, he spent much of his time writing about animals, the weather, his natural habitat, and of course, um, conservation, which was so important to him. And equally thorough, um, he explained that solitude was, was such an important part of his life because um, it allowed self-reflection and, and and it was that opportunity for him to be immersed in nature, which allowed him to lead um, a much better lifestyle. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. What, what does solitude mean to you? Um, to me, solid, it's almost like, a, almost like a form of therapy for me. I mean, to just to be alone, like I said, with, with no outside distractions and being able to sit and think about what matters to you in life. Um, and one thing I'll say, too, is when you go from, I mean, society to remote out in the woods, you're about after about after about one day into that, you start thinking about all the things that you worry about in you know in normal society and just how silly those are to worry about because there's stuff that you don't even really need to 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 live or you know or to survive. Um, so yeah, solitude it just gives you so much time to think and reflect and yeah, figure out what you want to do um, and yeah, just being being alone out in the woods. You, you get with no distractions, you, you get to see how much beauty there actually is in this world and how connected everything is. And you get to see that, that beauty. Um, and that's, uh, it's, it's life-changing to see that how it connected everything is. I mean, with the seasons and the, I mean, the animals and the circle of life and just, uh, observing that and just feeling the, that peacefulness, um, is really therapeutic. And I think it, it would do uh, a lot of people, a lot of good. 
Carl, to my next point, which is um, exactly what you've mentioned, and that's this connection to nature. And to be more precise, um, how modern life um, became disconnected from nature. And, and we know this because there's a volume of research which suggests that modern society has become more and more distanced from nature and, and the way it has an impact on our well-being. And one major explanation for this disconnect uh, is technological change and uh, especially indoor activities based around the internet. And uh, similarly, Thoreau was quick to highlight the influence of technology on nature. And yeah. especially, um, uh, his, his, he made a very uh, clear point about this, and that was the inclusion of the railroad in Walden, which is so significant because um, Thoreau had a fear of technology and, and it, what it actually meant to nature and the threat it, it posed and on the surrounding wildlife. And I'd like to ask you, um, what, what do you see as the most important challenges ahead for people wishing to lead a remote and off-grid lifestyle? Um, I would say, yeah, kind of like you said with the, you know, um, it, it seems to me like zoning laws are becoming more and more strict now because the population's growing and technology is ever expanding. Um, that, you know, a lot of people, they don't even understand that, you know, living the way, the way that, you know, me and my girlfriend, Sierra do live, that, that that's even an option. Um, you know, like, like that's, we've become so far removed from that. You know, so, he, you know, Henry David Thoreau was, was right. Um, about technology and that it has disconnected us from that. Um, and when you think about cities, I mean, cities were all once big tracks of wilderness, you know, with wildlife and, you know, beautiful, you know, thriving, uh, you know, a beautiful thriving environment. And then we basically just came in and mowed everything down and poured concrete and pavement and kind of mod modified everything and sort of boxed ourselves out of the natural world. Um, and like I said, that's a new thing, you know, it's, that's still very new in terms of history. So we'll see, I mean, I guess how that transpires, but, um, I think there's a lot of comfort in technology, you know, in, you know, having a climate controlled environment, um, you know, being able to just sit and watch TV or, or, uh, sit and, you know, watch, you know, videos on your phone or something, um, that that has become like just very comfortable. So people don't want to have to work any harder than what they do you know life's pretty good you know uh really um that everything's done for you but i think that i don't think it's a, a positive thing you know um i think going out and putting in a little bit of work for the things that you have is is, is a is a positive thing but as far as people yeah that are looking to to do what i do um zoning laws seem to be um difficult depending on what part of the world you live in okay that's a challenge so uh, and you, you've uh, described that so uh, eloquently there, you know, the, the era of the digital lifestyle and, um, and, and what that tells us is that the notion of speed is, is always present in our lives. It demands more tasks from humans. Yep. Uh, so both Thoreau and Pranicki were able to slow the pace of their lives by uh, the, the way they immerse themselves in, in, in the wilderness and, and nature. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Do you think that nature, in your view, do you think it's been overtaken by the, this rapid change in technology? Yeah, I do. Because, you know, like I said, I think that, uh, I mean, especially with the, the newer generation that's growing up on, you know, iPads, like they, to them, I mean, a world without technology, that seems like, that never even existed, you know, um, which I think is kind of sad, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, the society, yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of comfort in it. And, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I would just encourage everybody to, to try to spend a little bit of time out uh, in the woods as much as they can. Um, because it is a totally different feeling, you know, like we've touched on that you get to just sit and be alone in your own thoughts. I mean, you think about people in the modern world, I mean, what's, when's the last time they spent, you know, 24 hours alone with no phone, no TV, nothing, and just sat and thought about their life and what they wanted and, you know, what was important to them. Um, I think that's a really beneficial thing. And I, and I, and it's, uh, yeah, the world's, it moves fast nowadays and there's not a whole lot of downtime to sit and, and just think, you know? And okay, feel, so, yeah, and that's that's an interesting point because let's turn to it very briefly now because um, we're we're just coming into the last few minutes now. So let, let's turn, very quickly turn to an issue which is an integral part of any personal endeavor, and you would know this more than any, any anybody else. So we're talking here about success and failure, and um, Thoreau's writings came under intense criticism uh, early in his career, and it left him. Um, not a very a profitable person. Basically, his his endeavors weren't very profitable. But but his thoughts about success uh, came secondary, essentially, to his love for the pursuit of nature. And yep. um, uh, and in a way, it was a way of just uh, shedding those prejudices about um, preconceived ideas of success. And I'd like to ask, um, this is going to be the last question. Now. Have there been any okay. setbacks where you've had to take a step back? You know, were there any setbacks where you've had to reassess how things could have been done differently? Um, no, I cannot say that uh, I have had any any major setbacks. And yeah, to the success thing, I mean, everybody has their own idea of what success is. You know, some people it's getting in, you know going to college, getting a degree, doing the the thing, and you know making a bunch of money. Um, to me, that's just never been something I prioritized. To me, uh, success was always about true happiness and a, a sense of of purpose. You know, in the world and. Yeah, living the way I do and, and keeping it simple and providing everything myself, it, it, it gives me a sense of purpose. And I hope to, you know, one day pass that along to my, my children so uh, that they can experience that um, because I think that it's become, you know, it's becoming more and more rare for sure. Okay, so let me just um, finish now with some concluding remarks. Uh, so throughout this interview, we, we've heard a fascinating account of how Kyle Helmberger followed his Alaskan dream of building a log cabin in the wilderness and then transferred those skills to creating a remote off-grid lifestyle in Minnesota. And this idea of living in harmony with nature was inspired by Dick Pranicki's 30 years of solitude spent in the remote Twin Lakes region of Alaska. And what we're witnessing is the transfer of self-sufficiency skills and a trailblazing approach from one generation to the next. And we're reminded of the important philosophical ideals of cabin life, such as the relative nature of time, nature's perpetual cycles, and more importantly, a greater appreciation of beauty through simplicity. But let's not forget that this transformation requires a return to self-awareness, to simplicity, but ultimately an acceptance of nature's natural order. And that's all we have time for in today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada. A big thank you to my special guest today, Kyle Helmberger. You can find out more about the fascinating world of log cabin building by visiting his YouTube channel, Carl's Cabin. And as always, I'll see you next time, Wednesdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. 
Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.